Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again tonight. I trust you all had a wonderful day today. I know there was a lot of a lot of activities, and I still don't think I know what a car rally is, but I trust that you had fun engaging in that. And then sounded like the church picnic was just a wonderful time together, and I think that's wonderful when we can have those kind of times. Uh, perhaps not as stressful and involved as a whole week of family camp is. And so it's nice to get together where there's not just a whole bunch of things going on other than just eating and fellowshipping. And I trust that you enjoyed that. Genesis chapter 2 is where I'd like to read from. And we started a half hour early today, but I feel like I'm starting about the same time I did last night. And I've been called a long-winded preacher a few times already since last night. So if uh, if that's how people feel about me, I certainly wouldn't want to make them out to be wrong. <laughs> so we'll take our time tonight and just dig into the Word of God and enjoy ourselves. And uh, I think I heard a brother say it before. Uh, you let me know when I'm finished. And we'll just preach until you let me know that I'm done. Genesis chapter 2. I want to read verses 5, 6, and 7, and then pick up again in verse 15. And every plant of the field, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And then verse uh, 15. I I guess I I would like just to mention, uh, read verse 8. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And then verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt not thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. This is the first time that the scripture expresses that something is not good. God created and it was good and it was good and it was good. And then even to say that it was very good. And now he says it's not good that man should be alone. And he says, I'll make a helpmeet for him. And uh, it's one that's uh, a counterpart to him, equal to him, opposite but equal. And it, it says this in verse 19, right after it mentions that there's going to be a helpmeet made for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. And I believe the scripture positions it this way because it says, I'm going to form a helpmeet for Adam. And then it mentions the work that Adam had been doing without a helpmeet, a labor, something he was doing, a work that he was accomplishing under the commission of God, but without a helpmeet. And in the work that he was doing, he kept seeing a mirror image where there was a male, female, male, female, but for himself, he didn't have that. And so the scripture brings that in view just to understand how God is foreshadowing and portraying um, something in the creation. 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's the name that Adam gave her as woman. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. If you could bow your heads together with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, it's just an incredible atmosphere that we have gathered into this evening. And with the hearts of the people lifted up to you in praise, you've honored your scripture, your promise to come and inhabit these praises. And we believe that you are here for a very specific purpose. And that's to enrich our lives by your word and that you would be glorified. So, Father, we pray that you take the things which you have impressed upon my heart and you use them for the people's benefit and for your glory. And, Father, myself, I completely yield to you that you would direct me whichever way that you would desire me to go. Father, I believe that you are the supreme authority and that whatever your people have need of, whatever they desire, whatever it is you desire to give them, that you can bypass uh, anything that I've preconceived or anything that I've labored in and meet the needs of the people by your word. That's the original way, Lord, and we believe that. At thy word, we could receive what we have need of. I commit this time to you, asking that you bless your people. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You can have your seats. Apologize if we're just jumping right into the word this evening. Uh, and I, I feel that I can do that because you know me so well and uh, you know that perhaps I'm a little bit socially awkward and I apologize for that. I want to continue on the message um, that we started last night. It's kind of a continuation of what we were talking about at the camp on who are you? And uh, the title is Farmers in the Rapture. And what we're looking at is identifying your purpose. And we mentioned how that in the subject that we're looking at, it can give context to things that have been, uh, give relevance to things that are now, and then also give us an urgency for the things that are to be. And so we're able to kind of catch what God has done, what God will do, but catching what he is doing now. Because if you don't catch what he's doing now, you can miss the whole thing. And we were looking at a statement where Brother Bram talked about wanting to see the promise for today and know what the light of the hour is now so we can know how to walk in it and to know the age that we're living in and how far up the road we are. And we're using that as an inspiration, recognizing that we don't want to enthuse you about something that has passed. Uh, we want to inspire you to where the light is now. Because if we inspire you in a glare of another day, that's not going to bring the results we need now. If we inspired you for a promise that doesn't exist, it won't bring the, it won't bring the results that we need. And so we're wanting to look at uh, what God is doing right now in the context of what God has done. And we were using several statements from question and answers on the seals. And he's being questioned about whether or not evangelists should continue on the field or whether or not grace is over. And these questions are being asked because the way Brother Branham's teaching um, prior in this God and simplicity and in the breach especially and what is actually taking place and transpiring at the time that the seals are opened. And he says, we're in Revelations chapter 5. The Lamb is stepping forward to take the book. He's making redemption claims and the seals are being opened. And then there's a maybe a lot of assumptions people are making based upon what is transpiring. And so they're wanting to know, now what? 
If this is the time that we're living in, now what? And Brother Branham answers these questions. He gives er, a warning early on in that sermon about live a good Christian life. Don't, don't be weird. Just be humble. Just be honest. Live the Christian life. And then he's asked these questions and he says, don't change a thing. Live like it's going to be this hour. And he begins to talk about being faithful. If you're planting wheat, plant your wheat. If you're digging potatoes, go on and dig them out. So I'm about just be found faithful at the duty. If you're building a house, put it on up. He says, he says, uh, dig them out anyhow. Just continue on as you are. If I knew he was coming tomorrow and I was a farmer, I'd put my crop in today. If he made me a farmer, I'm going to stay right at my duty. And he says, we must be a sane, solid Christian. And I'm put here to work right up to the last minute. I've got a job to do, and I'll be right found faithful at the post of duty. He says, just continuing this, if I'm hoeing potatoes, I'll just be hoeing away just as hard as I can. So he says, just keep on pitching hay until the trumpet sounds. And then when he answers the next question about grace being over, he says, dig the potatoes and go to church and ride on. If it takes place in the morning, you'd be found doing just exactly what you're supposed to be doing. He says, don't start. He says, when you do, you twist the very thing away from the purpose that it's intended for. And if you take Brother Branham and a number of things that he teaches, even when he does the Holy Ghost series, showing that how they're, they're waiting on us. Waiting for the fullness to be poured into the body uh, and work so perfectly in that church that it raises the dead and we go in the rapture. And Brother Branham makes emphasis on the fact that it's not that um, we're waiting on them as much as it is they are waiting on us. Because there's something that God wants to accomplish through you and it has something to do with, and, and I'll say this maybe perhaps just giving a little peek into what the Lord's put on my heart for tomorrow morning. It has, it has a part to do in redemption. Because the woman has been given a sacred charge for redemption. And all of us as members represent that woman, which is the bride of Jesus Christ. So we have a work to do for redemption. And as Brother Branham is answering this question, if you're planting wheat, plant it. Digging potatoes, dig them out. And so uh, my title was originally potato farming in the rapture. But I thought, well, farmers might capture it a little bit better. But farmers in the rapture is to capture these very things that Brother Branham's talking about. Now that the seals are open, keep living the life. Because this is there's a purpose in living the life. And if you stop and you become peculiar and you, you stop obeying the scripture and doing the things that are expected of a Christian. Christian and you try to alienate yourself and you try to be different and you just try to be different for different sake, then you're twisting away from the very purpose that living the life and planting potatoes and, and building the house and having church what it's intended for. And I want you to make it personal in that there's a personal uh, in your personal labor, there is a purpose in it. And your daily life and how you go about your lives and your individual duty in the thing that God has specifically called you to, whether you are in, have a job in uh, information technology, whether you're a mechanic or God forbid a lawyer, whatever it might be that you're called to do, there's a purpose in it. And it's part of even, if I could say, part of your adoption. When God calls you to an uh, industry, God calls you to a service, God calls you to a position, and you conduct yourself appropriately in that. It's all part of manifesting the Word of God in this last day. And so there's a purpose in your calling. There's a, a purpose in your uh, in the, your profession, in, in whatever it is that God would call you to. And as we read last night, Brother Benham writes this in the Church Age book, God's intention for his creation, man, is to express 
His words. And so that is your purpose, is to express His words. Adam was given the word to live by. A life lived by the word would be the word expressed. And so if I could say this, expression is a key to understanding God. And and it even helps us to understand that uh, where there's an expression of God, it's God making himself known. And it's connected with God in that you cannot divide it from God. It's, it's God making himself known. And it's the invisible God which no one could see. And no one could fellowship with. An invisible God who had at the central uh, purpose in his heart was to have a bride of his choosing. And this invisible God just couldn't create a bride because then she would have just kind of been into existence and wondered, who am I? What am I doing here? What's going on? Because the invisible God had to first express himself in a form from which he could create. And so it's a key to understanding God as expression. And now he says that Adam and man, his creation, is to live the li- live a life by the word. And that would be God, the word expressed. Because God is the word. So a life lived by the word would be God expressed. And I want to just recall to you the, the theme that we were mentioning last night quite a bit. How that Brother Branham is reminding us to be simple and to live humbly. And the importance of just our ordinary lives. What you might think to be the mundane. And what might, you might think to be just the, the, the repetition. And why do we do this? And everything you're doing day by day. You never know that when in that moment that supernatural is going to transpire. Just as we pointed out about David. Just going about his normal everyday life. Keeping sheep. Just farming. And it was while he was farming that he was anointed to be king and even after being anointed to be king he went right back to farming because it was only going to be being faithful at his post of duty that he would be able to ascend to the throne and so we're looking at the value of today in order to see christ today and as we read in genesis chapter 2 verse 5 it says that there was no man to till the ground and it says in verse 15 and the lord god took the man after he had formed him in flesh And put him into the garden of Eden. Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden. To dress it and to keep it. And to dress it. It's the same word that's used there in Genesis chapter 2 verse 5. To till the ground. He is to labor. He is to work. He is to dress the field. He is to keep it or to guard it. And this is what man was placed on earth to do. He is put into garden to labor and to work, to dress it, to keep it, to cultivate it, and to make sure that it's abundant and that it brings forth fruit. And then in verse 18, God says, when he says that it's not good for man to be alone, he is expressing that Adam cannot finish his work by himself. That the commission and the commandment to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth cannot be fulfilled by Adam alone. So he wants to give him a helpmeet. And in order to help him, he brings one that was already in him, that was hidden and invisible. And he forms the woman to be his helpmeet. And the woman, everything the woman was, she had to attribute what was already in the man. There was nothing that the woman could say, well, I have this, that Adam couldn't say, I had it before you had it. Because everything she was had come from Adam. And this was necessary to bring her forth in order for Adam to fulfill his purpose. Adam without the woman could not fulfill his purpose. And so it says in verse 22, in the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Brother Branham said about these scriptures, he is showing, portraying here, the bride. 
He is portraying the bride. He's actually foreshadowing you. He's actually uh, indicating something by foreshadowing that he's going to do this one day on a different scale, but I'm doing it now in the beginning, foreshadowing what is in my heart to do already. It's, it's not as if God put man and woman in the garden and then the devil trumped God and, and messed the whole program up and then God had to start rethinking everything and figured it out. He knew exactly what would transpire because what he desired is what we're looking at tonight. A bride of his choosing that would love him for who he is. Who is he? He's the invisible God. And you love a God that you have not seen. But a God who's expressed himself, and by faith, you believe that. And there has never been a, a people on earth who can look back through, back through the church ages, back through the New Testament, back through the Old Testament, and see God having expressed all his attributes and prophets and kings and priests in all sorts of different ways, and have the benefit of the entirety of the Bible being made plain to her, and believe him for everything that he is. And so he is portraying the bride. And it's important to understand that this was God expressing himself. By having Adam, he expressed himself. And we'll see this, as Brother Branham says, in the masterpiece. And I want to draw quite a bit from the sermon, the masterpiece. He says, when he made this man, there was something about him yet that didn't look just right because he was by himself. And that's how God had been by himself. So it didn't look right to God because he knew what that felt like. And what he saw in Adam was himself. He saw Adam as a God on earth with a dominion, with, with animal life and everyone else that had uh, symmetry and companions, but yet nothing like himself. No companion, no, no one with him. And so he, he sees Adam and in Adam he has now expressed himself. And so he knows that there's something, there's something missing and that's how God had been by himself. And the man now in the image of God also existed on the earth by himself. So he must have struck a little blow over on his side. And from there he took the piece that struck off of it and made him a helpmate, a wife. Then he wasn't by himself. He had somebody with him and that's his great work. Now, what God was doing was not just making a son or creating a son or having a son, but it was God becoming. It was God expressing himself in Adam. And then with the expression of the woman, God is expressing himself. Because it wasn't just for God to have a creation. God wanted to express himself. And so he is expressing, and I want coming to my subject tonight, he's expressing his desire to be a family. And so together, Adam and the woman... Their lives would be the word expressed. They would be dressing it, tilling it. They would be working, laboring, serving. They'd be keeping or guarding it. They'd be subduing it. They would have dominion over it. This is what they were commissioned to do to the earth. They were to be the rulers, the laborers, the keepers, the ones that are dressing. And it would be that type of labor and that faithfulness to the commission that would be God expressed. In the message, Power of Transformation, Brother Bram said there was Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden. Every seed bringing forth. And never could do nothing else. If I could say it this way, the first family were farmers. 
It never could do nothing else because God said, let it be that way. It had to be that way. And as God, as Brother Branham is referring to Genesis 1:11, each seed bringing forth of its kind and painting this incredible picture of Adam and the woman walking in the garden, living, subduing, dressing and keeping. And he says, oh, how I would like to stop here just a minute to say, see, this is where we are facing yet the completion of that word. So in this great scene that God had created with Adam and then bringing the woman out of Adam and the commission that they were under and the work that they were to fulfill, if there was a pause that was put on it by the fall, Brother Branham is saying, now we are facing the completion of that word that was expressed in the beginning. We, as the bride of Jesus Christ, are facing the completion of that word in Genesis. That's why she comes on the scene in Revelation, and she is that city that comes out of heaven from God. Because we are facing, and we are going to be, the completion of that word. Brother Branham writes in the Church Age book, he says, by, and I want to make this personal, because he says, by and through the members of the bride. Now, who's a member of the bride? There you go. We're members of the bride and we can have this idea in our minds of the bride is just some kind of thought that we have something we reference and it just kind of helps us to understand that there's people that believe the message are going in the rapture. But the bride is made up of members just as much as your body has fingers and toes and arms and, and and other members to it in a physical body. The bride of Jesus Christ has individual members and you who raised your hands, you are that member. So this body of Jesus Christ that might seem to be just uh, uh, something that is not tangible or something that's not physical and maybe something we just reference, it is something that is real. It is something that is living. It is something that is dynamic. It is something that has power and it is made up of you. And he says, by and through the members of the bride will be fulfilled all that was promised of God to be made manifest in the virgin. Everything that was promised to be made manifest in the woman will be fulfilled and made manifest in you. Now, if I could just say this and maybe just cause you to ponder it, that means you're going to have to bring forth Jesus Christ. Brother Branham writes in that same chapter, those in the bride, so it's the members, those in the bride do only his will. No one can make them do otherwise. They have, thus saith the Lord, or they keep still. You know why so many sit around and do nothing? They don't have, thus saith the Lord. They have, thus saith the Lord, or they keep still. They know that it has to be God in them doing. Notice all the do's. Those in the bride do only his will. No one can make them do otherwise. They have, thus saith the Lord, or they keep still. So it, it, it tells you that, thus saith the Lord, puts you into action. They know that it has to be God in them doing the works, fulfilling his own word. He did not complete all his work while in his earthly ministry. So when he refers to the earthly ministry, it's his first coming in the days of his flesh when he came in his son Jesus Christ he had a work it had to be in flesh there had to be made manifest and expressed he did it through his son the first purpose of the purpose of Christ and he said in that earthly ministry he did not finish all his work so now he works in and through the bride how he's going to work in and through the bride 
He needs members. That's why Brother Branham says those in the bride. It's speaking to a people. She knows that for it is not yet time for him to do. It was not yet time for him to do certain things that he must do now. We saw that with Adam. He could do a lot of things in the creation according to God's commandment to, to subdue and to dress and to keep and to even name creation. There's things that he could do in the flesh. But when it came to fulfilling all of his commission, he had to bring forth the woman for Adam to do it. And we see Brother Bram's coming through the same language to say that Adam, that Jesus Christ could not fulfill certain things then, but he'll do them now. But he will now fulfill through the bride that work which he left for this specific time. Exactly right. And let's not confuse it. It's not you doing it without his agency or without him being in you. It's still him. But now it's him in you. He will now do it through the members of his bride. And I want to, I want to take a very specific aspect of what was being portrayed as Brother Brown says, we're facing yet the completion of that word. I want to use what Adam and the woman represented to put, uh, if I could say maybe our daily lives into context. Because, and I'll use this phrase and I perhaps may use it again. If you're going to see the supernatural, it's going to happen while you're farming. You're not going to go exploring for it. You're not going to try to make it, you manufacture it. If you're going to see the supernatural, it's going to happen while you're at your post of duty. And I, I take great care to always refer to Adam and the woman when I'm referring to them before the fall. Because there was something expressed in her that we must identify with. And Brother Branham in the masterpieces, and it was a stroke that cut the side of his masterpiece that brought out the bride. So now he's showing us in Jesus Christ, just as he brought it out of the side of Adam and the woman came forth as a helpmeet and a wife. Now he's saying the bride comes forth. And then he makes this reference to, he's referring to Adam. And now we see them as a masterpiece family in the Garden of Eden, how beautiful it was. So the first masterpiece was not Adam. The first masterpiece was Adam and the woman represented as a family with the commission to bring forth children. So there's more represented in the masterpiece than just the man, but it also includes the woman. And he calls it a masterpiece family. He says this masterpiece was walled by the word, God's word, and the masterpiece itself of the family was fortified by this word. So the masterpiece in the beginning that God uh, was using to foreshadow, that God was portraying himself in, it was a family. And he says, but the... He says, but the great sculptor, and this is after the fall, he says, when he's seen the fall of his family, the masterpiece, he wasn't willing just to leave it lay there face down in ruin. He went to work immediately to build it up again. What was it he was going to build up the family, the masterpiece again? And so what God is portraying and expressing here is that he made, he's making himself visible in this, and this expression of man and the woman with the commission to have children. And this is what God wanted to portray. And they never brought forth children under God's commission. That commission was never fulfilled by Adam and the woman. 
But yet that seed of Genesis 1.28 is picked up by Genesis 3.15 when God prophesies redemption and says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so that's the seed that was never fulfilled of Genesis 1.28. And it's that seed that caught into the womb of a virgin and it brought forth the, the, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, which is the bridegroom. And it begins the resurrection and the restoration of the masterpiece family because we have the masterpiece husband again. Because it's God's desire to express himself as a family. If he just wanted to express himself in a man, Adam was it. If he just wanted to express himself in a woman, we can say that was it. But he had a word that had to be fulfilled. And he calls it a masterpiece family over and over and over again. And he says when it fell, he went to build it up again. Not just creation, but the family. And the masterpiece family reflected what God wanted to become. And so family is an expression of God. God didn't want to have a family. He wanted to be a family. A message that would really help you to understand this is the sermon, Christ is the mystery of God revealed. In the threefold purpose of Christ, he wanted to have preeminence in his son, or he wanted to express himself through his son, have preeminence in his bride, and then restore them back to the Garden of Eden. That's husband, wife, back in the Garden of Eden. The threefold purpose of Christ is bringing back the family again. Husband, wife, back in the Garden of Eden. It's the first purpose, brings forth the second purpose, and through the union, they're brought back to the third part. And he says in this sermon, but what he wanted to do, what God wanted to do, he says he loved fatherhood for he was a father. And the only way that he could express it was to become a son of man. So God expresses himself by becoming. He loved fatherhood, so he didn't want to just see a father, he wanted to be a father. And he says the only way that he could be a father was to become a son. Isn't that beautiful? God wanted to be a father. The only way God could be a father is to be a son. So when God brings forth an expression, he he achieves a purpose and a desire that he has in his heart. So he wanted to be a father. He wanted to be a husband. And in order to achieve that, he had to become a son and he has to become a wife. It's God becoming. And the masterpiece family in the garden, and I want to emphasize this, and, and maybe I'll just pause for a moment. I'm speaking to you young people. Because I believe that you're sons and daughters of God and the word is what you need. And I don't need to water it down and trick it out for you to receive it and accept it. So if I haven't addressed you directly yet, I'm direct, I'm addressing you. I'm wanting to think about these things that foreshadow you in this last day. And it's this masterpiece family in the Garden of Eden. It's very important for us to catch this. That's the world that God loved. Because immediately he began to build it up again. Immediately he prophesied of Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the seed that was to come. And so what the world that God wanted to redeem was the world that was expressed in the beginning. Because the Bible says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And then John writes in 1 John, he says, love not the world. Nor the things of the world. For if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. So now we have a problem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you can't love the world because if you do, the love of the father is not in you. So it just begs the question, what world is it that God loved? And the world that God loved was that first world in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, it means his delight. That's what Eden means. And in Eden, he placed a garden. 
And that garden for even that garden foreshadows the bride because this scripture speaks of my garden, my spouse. So in a place which was God's delight, he put a garden and it says in in the garden, he put the man. He foreshadows in the very beginning in his first Eden what he does in this Eden when he brings forth the bride and in her comes Christ again in her in the end. The world that God loved is not the cosmos. Isn't this world that we look at? Isn't the things of this world? It's not even all the people that are in flesh. The world that God loved was man and woman under the word in the garden of Eden in the beginning. Jesus himself said, I pray not for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And so the threefold purpose of Christ is a restoration of the world that God loved. And it is a restoration of the masterpiece family. A man and a woman living in harmony in the Garden of Eden with the commission to bring forth children. Brother Branham said the woman would have eventually brought forth that child. Now, I think that's a little bit of a head scratcher. It's a paradox. But he says that's what we, she was to bring forth is that son. Now, continuing in the masterpiece, he says the great masterpiece of family of a family. The second Adam and the second Eve now ready for the garden, the millennium back on earth. He says, hallelujah. The great sculptor didn't leave them lay there. He took time as he did through the millions of years, molding the first perfect couple and they fell. Now it's been through thousands of years. He's molded again. And now here they are ready. And I'll say this. I'm not sure if I'll have time to get to it tonight or even in the morning. Brother Branham goes to great lengths to show that just as Adam was given a woman to fulfill his commission. And before he could come to her, she had fallen. He said the same thing happens to Christ when he was given the church, but before he could marry her, he found she was fallen also. So in both the woman in the garden and the woman of the first church, they both do not complete the word that God foreshadowed in the beginning. But you and I will fulfill all that was promised to be made manifest in the virgin. So whatever they did not express perfectly and whatever they did not fulfill by the word of God, he has saved it for you in this last day. So he says he's molding the first couple and they fill. Now it's been thousands of years. And the masterpiece was come and struck down. And from his side come forth the helpmate. And she is brought up in the same process. Now here she is back again. With all nature, the Bible and everything else showing here we are. He says notice the great masterpiece of the family. And here we are now. We've been brought back to this. I believe this is one of the reasons why Brother Brown could stand there in the same year earlier that year and stand there when he's preaching the trial and say that my, I was commissioned. And when he preaches the trial, he takes the witness stand to give testimony. And Brother Branham could not take the witness stand and merely testify of a promise that he had been given, but it had not yet been fulfilled. Because if there was any way for that prosecuting attorney to say, is there still something that he hasn't done under that promise? And then Brother Branham say, yes, it is. It hasn't happened. Then he could be impeached. And then all the skeptic and Mr. Impatient and Mr. Unbelief like, see, not even the prophet. 
Not even the prophet can testify that a commission he received has been fulfilled. But he takes the witness stand and the promise that he gives. Abraham said he'd have a son and Noah said it was going to rain. The promise he gives is as John the Baptist was sent to forerun his first coming. You will have a message in a ministry that will forerun the second coming of Jesus Christ into all the world. And he stands there and he says, I've waited all this time, but it's fulfilled right here this afternoon. God keeps his word. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. And he was an unimpeachable witness. And God had thoroughly authenticated our messenger by sending the coming. He was to forerun. And he said, here she is back again. He was looking at God in flesh on earth. Now notice this just immediately how simple this becomes. Notice the great masterpiece of the family. If I could express it this way, we get these grand visions and these grand ideas of how things are going to happen and how things are going to trade. We're looking for a great big cathedral with a really long prayer line. And Brother Brown preaches the seventh seal and it happens right there. This is the third pull. We're looking for something great and something grand. And it just happens so simply right by us. And so he says, now the great masterpiece of the family. Oh, this must be royalty. This must be huge. This must be big. This must be somebody everybody would accept. And then he comes to the simplicity of it. He says, the husband and wife cannot be truly a family unless they are one. If they're not, they're not a good family. Wife pulling one way and the husband another. That would make an awful family. Can we make this personal? And then he says, but in agreement with love one to another, that's a family. And now that was God's masterpiece. And now all the true family here portrays that. Notice just how personal he made that. He's saying she's back again. The great masterpiece of the family. Now that was God's masterpiece. Husband and wife being one and being in agreement with love to another. That's a family. And now he says all true families here portray that masterpiece family. And he says, and now the masterpiece family has come again. Christ and his bride ready to come. The second Adam, second Eve, ready now to return back to their home. And the whole picture has been redemption. If I could say this even to the children of the families, to the parents of the families, all of us as members of the family, young people and parents alike, your family is ordained to portray God's masterpiece family. The family unit has got to express Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is desiring to see husband and wife in harmony, in love one to another, marching forward under the headship of the word of God, bringing their families under the headship of the word, portraying the original masterpiece family with even a component that was not yet expressed in flesh. You can say there was God with his children, with them to bring forth children. And now God is wanting to portray a masterpiece family through your family. Because he says all true family here portrays or manifests or expresses that masterpiece family. I say what a high calling. And I want to tell you the devil hates it. The devil hates the expression of God through the family. Because it represents something he can never achieve. Something he can never have. He can't have it. Right. But he cannot become anything. He can only pervert. 
He can only gain access through perversion. And now when God actually raises up again a, a, a God race, a super race, a super people. I, I just pardon me for a moment while I collect my thoughts. I, God has dealt with me so tremendously in this subject. There's just a, such a vast landscape of things to share with you. And Brother Branham teaches in the church age book that Matt, God had reserved man for himself alone. And that Satan could not incarnate man, could not come into the man because God had reserved that for himself. But Satan could influence the serpent. And so by, by for, forming himself and having influence over the serpent, he gained access uh, to, to the woman. And then by creating a hybrid, now he can indwell the hybrid. Because after the fall, we see in the scripture, Satan having entered into Judas and the, 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 the demons from the swine had cast out of legion entering into the swine. Now there was the affinity that allowed the demons to, uh, to dwell in or Satan himself to be incarnate in fallen flesh, but an unhybrid. Something that's not hybrid. Satan has no access to it. So when the bride comes back by the spoken word in the original seed, and she's no longer hybrid, but she's the pure original seed expressed again, Satan has no access to her. And I'm telling you, he hates it. He hates it that you won't water down the message, that you won't revise it, that you won't change it, that even now, in 2019, you're standing by it. He hates it. And he can't get into it to change it or defile it. He can only enter into false seed to do it. And he can pervert their expression, but he can't do it to you. It's an expression that the devil hates. Brother Branham says, and sirs, we would see Jesus. He said, all these things are attributes of God. Just so that in the end, the Bible said, Jesus said, you will know that I am in the Father, the Father in me, I in you, and you in me. Now we know what day that is. It's this day. When the revelation is made known. And, and it's in that day that you're going to know these things. And then Brother Branham often connected this immediately to John 14, 12 in doing the greater works. And he says, it's God becoming tangible. Your own wife, you and your husband, is a shadow, a negative of God and his wife, the church. It's just God's attributes being displayed in shadows and types. Like the Old Testament was to the new. Then in the end, it all winds up God tangible. Now, I don't, the way Brother Branham expresses it here. He's not saying, I don't think he's trying to diminish the expression here. But catch what he's saying. God becoming tangible is God expressing himself in a husband and a wife. He says it's, a, it's a just it's an expression of God and his wife, God and the church. It's attributes being displayed. So when Brother Branham says that a true family here portrays that, it expresses characteristics and attributes of God. And a husband and wife express attributes and characteristics of God. And that is making God tangible. That is a life lived by the word, being the word expressed. Amen. Brother Branham says, and does God change his mind? Because I'm wanting to make this personal. He makes reference to how Jesus came in three names, son of man, which is prophet, son of God, which went through the church age. And he makes very plain that he's the son of God through the church ages. 
But then after he has made himself known as the son of God through the church ages and before he manifests himself as son of David in the millennium, in between there, he reveals himself as son of man again. He says, in between the son of God and son of David, according to his own word and according to Malachi 4 and many scriptures, he's to return back into his church. He is to come again. He's going to come and he's going to be in a corporal form. He's going to be in a physical form. He's going to make himself known in a way that he can be seen. Amen. He's to return back into his church in physical form, in the people, in human beings. Hallelujah. In human beings. Who could they be? Here they are. He said he would come again and he has come again in human beings. Now, does that mean you won't see him in a body? You will. One day you're going to see him. When the going away transpires, you're going to see him. You're going to meet him in the air. And the love that you have for that one who died for your sins and the one that purchased your redemption and the firstborn among many brethren, he is going to preserve and have kept the law of the firstborn. A firstborn who's not disinherited, a firstborn who doesn't lose his inheritance, but he has kept it and he has shared it with you and he's made you joint heirs. And there will be a time when we see him and we shower our praise and our love to him. But right now, she is him. He's to return back into his church in physical form, in the people, in human beings, in the way of being a prophet. In other words, that spiritual revelation of the Son of Man must come first to the prophet. The word comes to the prophet. In his first word coming, the word came to the prophet. And this word coming, the word had to come first to the prophet. Jesus could not come as a carpenter and wait his time for his ministry and then bypass John. He had to come to John and John had to be the one that introduced him. And the same thing unfolds with this messenger and he makes the introduction. And he's using a language that only the bride can understand. He's returned back into his church in physical form, in the people, in human beings, in the way of being a prophet. He was the forerunner revealing Christ. Brother Rand makes reference to Luke 17.30 and says the only way he can do it today is when he gets in your flesh. So I say if the masterpiece family has returned spiritually, then it must be manifested in the flesh. I, I just, I just, let me just pause and make sure the Lord wants me to say this. I want you to ponder some of the men that walk around and use marriage and divorce as a means to just stack up as many ex-wives as they want. Not catching the spiritual revelation that we've been brought back to the original marriage covenant. Under which there was nothing else but redemption. Just chew on that. It must be manifested in the flesh. He says all true family here portrays that. And I want to bring something that is the bane of the existence of every husband. Family pictures. But God wants a family picture. Because he says all true family here portrays that. He wants to see a man and a woman living by the word. Because a life lived by the word would be the word expressed. To have them in an environment controlled by the word. An environment created by the word. Where? In a church service? No. 
Not in a church service. In your daily lives. In the daily grind. In your day to day. A David out in the fields herding sheep and has an atmosphere about him. Has a faith about him. A man in his job. A woman at home. All the things that you say is old fashioned and out of date. Listen. God wants to see himself expressed in the ordinary, simple, everyday life. Listen, young people, if you could ever begin to catch just a scotia of that revelation, you'll quit Fortnite overnight. You'll do it. You'll be like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my times. I'm going to give myself tendonitis in my thumbs way early. Listen, there's things that God wants to do through you now. I don't care if you're 12 years old, 17 years old. God wants expression. Is there some young lady here, young man here says, God, express yourself through me. I'm tired of being a sounding board of the world. I'm tired of being an expression of worldly things. God, let your life be lived for me. In Satan's Eden, he says, God, speaking of God, God having faith in all his word, his seeds, he brought an Eden of holiness, and love and eternal life. That's what God's Eden produced, holiness. And it brought an Eden of holiness, of love, understanding, perfection and eternal life. That's what God is planting. Oh, God's a farmer too. His word, his seed. That's what his church will be. At the end, it'll be the same thing. It has to be the same thing. And the original masterpiece family was arranged behind the word. The word was to protect them. The word was to be their pleasure. It was to be their provision. Everything was to be found in the word. And Satan's attack transpired when the word was bypassed. And Satan attacked the first family. Because God loved it. And it was the word being expressed to manifest sons. Brother Brandon said the first son Adam was the spoken seed word of God. He was given a bride to reproduce himself. That's why the bride was given to him to reproduce himself. To produce another son of God. Is that not what even the ambition of a church is? Is that not what the ambition of a mother and father is not just to have children, but to raise a son or daughter of God. And that's what the original purpose of the woman was for, is to reproduce another son of God. But we're told and we know and we understand by the scripture that that woman fell. And even the bride that was given to Jesus fell. But Brother Bram says in God of this evil age, we find now this evil age is to prove to Satan she is not like Eve, that she is not that type of a woman. She will be tried by his word. The bride, as Adam's bride, was tried by the word. And Adam's bride believed every bit of the word, all but confused on one promise. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, see, but failed on one promise under the temptation of the enemy face to face. He says it in the way, same promise, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, today, see, she failed in the day. In the today, to know he's the same today. We know what he was then, we know what he'll be then, but what is he today? And Satan was able to pervert the expression of Christ today. And she fell, but he says he's going to raise up a bride in the end time to prove she is not that type of a woman to get confused. And now the people, he says... Under the temptation of the enemy, 
Face to face she fell. And now the people that's called for his name, of course, is his bride. So it is a people. It's not just some mythical body that's just represented collectively by whether or not there's just some group that triumphs, but it's made up of members. She is to come in contact again by the same thing, not by denominational truth or something, but every word. It's the people that's called for his name. The bride, they are the people that are called by his name. And he says the word interpreted is the manifestation of the name of God. The word interpreted. What's the word interpreted? The word brought to pass. Not somebody telling you, well, the thing of it is and what I think it means is. No, it's the interpretation is the manifestation. And it don't need interpreting. It needs manifesting. And the manifestation is the vindication. And that's what it is. It's manifested. There's many people that maybe claim, uh, uh, deny the Holocaust. You want to know the proof of the Holocaust? Israel back in their homeland. Deny it all you want, but the people back in their homeland is the proof. Is the proof of the Holocaust. And today, you know the proof of the revealing of the Son of Man? Say what you want about history, but you're the living proof that the Son of Man has been revealed. Because the word interpreted is the manifestation of the name of God. I'd like to get specific here. A true family is an expression of God. And parenthood is an office and an attribute of God. Brother Bram said he loved fatherhood. He says he's the source of parenthood. God is. And he says fatherhood is an attribute of God. And so God manifested himself as a masterpiece family. And then when he brought forth the seed of Genesis 3.15, the son of Genesis 1.28, he commits his own son to parental care. He didn't bypass the family unit in sending his son, even though it was the son of his own blood and of his own seed and his own uh, creation. He put it within a family. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 to 52, after Jesus has said that he was about his father's business, this in no way was Jesus disavowing the family. Because it said they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. In verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject Unto them. Jesus Christ, the one who is sitting in the temple, confounding the scribes and the Pharisees, the one who said to his mother, I must be about my father's business. He wasn't disavowing the family unit. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, independent of it. It wasn't that he didn't need it. Because it says he went with them. He went back with them, mother and father, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And notice the great thing that transpires. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And I do not believe it is a coincidence that the scripture says that he went back with his parents and were subject to them. And it was by that guidance that he increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. God showing and expressing that there's no, that God does not desire to do away with the family unit. That God does not want to diminish fatherhood or diminish motherhood. But even his own son was committed to a mother and father. And I believe that the more that Satan can diminish the value of the family, the value of our relationships, the value of our unity, he is able to keep us from fulfilling God's purpose. 
He wants everyday life to lose its meaning to where you're no longer digging potatoes like you should. You're no, no longer planting wheat like you should. You're no longer building up the house like you should. Because to you it doesn't matter anymore. Just one day something's all going to change and we're going to get out of here and you don't realize the character of the house and the order of the home and the way you're planting and the way you're building and the way you're selling and all the things that you're doing. Matter! It was, and he says, as it was in the days of Noah, they were doing all the things that we were doing. But the Bible says the imagination of man was only evil continually. Then what will it be when a bride raises up who's in perfect harmony with her bridegroom? And everything she says and everything she does is in unity with the character of Jesus Christ. And listen, young people, whatever you do, don't undervalue your family. God has given you your parents for a reason. All right, listen to me now. God's given you your siblings for a reason. That big brother, that little sister, whatever it might be or how many there are, they're there for a reason. I do not believe in the family of God. There's waste. I don't believe there's an appendix. I don't believe there's tonsils. I don't believe there's something that we can get rid of or we don't need. In the family of God, I believe you're all important. You're all necessary. This is not a code. We're not codependent. We're mutually dependent. Where there's codependency, there's manipulation, there's abuse, and there's harm. This is a relationship where the top depends upon the bottom. Whatever it might be, the head upon the feet. However you want to arrange this, this is an arrangement where we all need each other. Every single one of us, sister to brother, father to mother, we all need each other. And we ought not to look down upon any member, any person in this, in the family. Whether it be this church family or your own family. We've been arranged for this reason. Brother Branham said we are identified with our families. In this human life by marriage. And with our wives we marry and our family is identified by the union of our marriage. We're all identified with our families. Brother Branham says in one place your family is what you are. And I want to say this. And I trust you understand the spirit in which I intend it. Church is not a replacement for family life. Because a strong church is made up of strong families. And the danger can be for some families to lean on a strong church. And the church is picking up the slack. And it's wonderful when that can happen. But it's not God's perfect will. And a church that is... that is. As mature as this one is, and with the things that are provided for the families and provided for the young people, there's not one family here that should just be merely sending their kids to camps, hoping that they get what they need at the camps, and not doing what you need to be doing at home. Because nothing will undo a camp experience quicker than a bad home experience. Nothing will. Nothing will undo it worse than than to have a wonderful experience at camp and then go right back into an atmosphere that's not promoting the same virtues that are promoted at church and promoted at camp. No matter how dynamic the church is and what it offers with youth meetings and school and everything else that it can provide and camps and church services and counseling and all these things that we can do to engage the young people and keep them busy, that does not absolve the family from doing their part. If anything, everything this church does in the end is not successful unless the parents are doing their part. And there's a lot of parents that do a lot of work to keep a lot of the church programs going because there's parents in homes who aren't doing their part at home. 
And the burden to train the youth of today, as we read Brother Branham saying, we have a burden to train the youth. It's our, we have this burden. We must do it. We must train them. It's not the burden of the church alone. But it's a family's duty. It's a duty of the father to see that his children are raised correctly. Brother Branham says, I think today our great problem of what we believe to be juvenile delinquency is a parent delinquent, a home delinquent. It is a delinquent home. It is a deficiency in parenthood is what he's saying. And Sunday school, now listen to what he says. Sunday school, about a half hour or an hour on Sunday morning. And the world has the kids the rest of the week and cram into them more than a teacher. And then he's, he's maybe perhaps speaking of the dynamics of just everyday life. You go to church a set time on Sundays and you have a few hours. I think if you factor it up, we're in church less than 3% of our time during the week. And so then the rest of the time, Brother Bram says, you're out in school, you're with the kids the rest of the week, you're out in the world and they're in education. And then he says, and then at home, they get no Christian training at all. So in the formula, Brother Branham, I don't believe is condemning school and condemning the things that are out there in the world and how they go out and or condemning going to church. But he's saying the problem arises when they don't get any Christian training at home. There's no amount of church and no amount of Christian school that will ever absolve a family from doing Christian training at home. Church and school should be reinforcing what they're learning at home. What they're learning by example, what they're learning in devotion, what they're learning in what's lifted up before them. Church and school should be reinforcing the Christian training they have at home. And then he makes this statement. Mother is out somewhere to a card party and dad is down at the bowling alley and sis is out with somebody with a hot rod. And you got young people saying, what's a card party? What's a bowling alley? What's a hot rod? The point he's trying to make is everyone's doing their own thing. The family's not gathered together anymore. They can all be in the same room, but one's on a hot rod app, one's on a card app, and the other one's on a bowling app. They don't have, they don't have to run off down to these different, they don't have to get in cars and drive away. But here they are. Mother's out doing this. Dad's out doing that. Sis is out doing that. And he says, here you are, see? Where, where, where'd we go? It's terrible. And then we find out all these things together. Junior's beating up and down the street on his motorcycle. And it's some of them down playing golf and others playing pool. And it's just something other, another for entertainment. And the church is let go. And he makes a reference to how, and then your church is not even thought of in other places. He's talking about this. But if you could just take in your mind, the image that he's creating is that a family's not interacting anymore and not doing things together and not engaging one another. They all have their separate things they're doing. And with the advent of technology, we can all be in the same room with our VR headsets on and have no clue what the other's doing. And one of the worst things, I guess, is probably uh, kind of the double-edged sword, a blessing and a curse is earbuds because now you don't even know what they're listening to. And there's, and there's a complete escape from the people that are there with you in the room. And that's why they have a phrase to now, we're alone together. And he says, and churches let go. Do you know why the church became what it was? Because families became what they were. It started on the family level. In the message expectation, Brother Brown says a minister cannot bring a revival. There's no preacher can bring a revival. He doesn't pack it with him. I I promise you, you can go look through my luggage. You won't find it. 
The only thing he can do is just be loyal to God and his word. And the revival has to come by the people in your home, in your life. That's where the revival really is. If you want to see revival fires, those of you who've been praying for the young people and complaining about them doing this and complaining about doing them doing that. And you're everyone's. And listen, it happens a lot. If I can let you in on a secret, there's a lot of adults and a lot of parents that want to say a lot of stuff about young people and what they're not doing. But you ever have you ever stopped for a moment to take inventory of your own life and ask yourself, am I eating sour grapes? Is my home life not conducive to them making the progression and the advancements like I want them to? Or am I waiting for the camp speakers to come and deal with the problems? Or is it rather that you have been called by God to address it yourself? It's got to start by the people in your home life. And brother man says we don't have the home life like we used to. He says home life is so uncertain. Listen, if it may seem like I'm yelling at you, I am. I mean, but I'm not angry. I'm, I'm just raising my voice for emphasis. But if it seems like I'm scolding you or I'm trying to call anybody out, there's many of you that can say, I'm doing the right thing, I know, and this is confirming it for you. But I believe that God is trying to speak very boldly to the, all of us as family. This is camp two, camp part two. This is spring camp. But the vision was to get everybody together. And to speak all to all of us together as young people and parents and as individuals to understand what is our duty? What part am I playing? Who am I? If you want to see a revival, it's got to begin in your home life. And we just don't, he says, have the home life like we used to have. Home life is so uncertain. He makes this statement in so many different ways. It's just a, it's a perfect principle. He says the beautiful virtue that God give a woman to be a mother has been marred. And that's the backbone of the nation. You break motherhood and you broke the nation right then. That's one thing that helps hold it together. Real, genuine parenthood. He says in thirsting for life, that's what breaks up homes. That's what spoils children. That's what makes neurotics. That's what makes teenage delinquency is when motherhood and fatherhood is broke. Now, as I try to just go further in this subject, I want to speak specifically to these statements that Brother Branham is making and, and, and impress it upon you this way. Brother Branham as a prophet is diagnosing the spiritual condition of the church and America and the world. And he's saying that they're fallen. It's perverse. Uh, the United States has been invaded. It moved from Paris to Hollywood. And he's saying the devil is reaching the climax of his Eden. The God of this evil age is Satan. He has his own Eden. It's reaching its perfection. He's talking about the perverse. has never been a more chaotic time, more of a dark time. And he diagnoses the spiritual condition. But when he gets to the cause, Brother Bram is consistent in saying the cause is when he broke the mother. And he broke the father. And he says the, when the family unit, when the family began to let in the filth, when the family began to let down the bars, when they stopped having family prayer time, when they stopped reading their Bibles together, when the mothers and fathers started sending their kids off to church and they weren't together as a family, that was Satan's entrance into the church. And when the church fell, society fell. And it began on a family level, just as Satan attacked the family in the beginning. And once he got into the woman, then all of creation had fallen. The same thing repeats in the end. As soon as motherhood is broke and fatherhood is broke, that's what creates the perversion of Laodicea. The cause for the confusion and the chaos and the nastiness and the perversion and the darkness of Laodicea is a broken father and a broken mother. And that's sad news, isn't it? 
And that's very scary to think that our children are being born in such chaos, in such darkness. And as we emphasized before, they're born into chaos. And not only born into chaos, chaos is born in them. And whose fault is that? Yours. They receive the nature of their parents. And so they're born with the fallen nature, born in a fallen world. But the cause of the fallen world in the cause is the solution. Broken motherhood and broken fatherhood caused the great perverseness that's in society. Therefore, fixed motherhood, fixed fatherhood, and a fixed family is the solution to Laodicea's darkness. We don't despair when we hear about Laodicea's condition. We don't despair when we hear about how dark the world is. Because we know how it got dark. And we know the answer and the solution to the darkness is to get my family back in order. And that's all the protection that they'll need. Brother Bram says that's, we need that more than any atomic bomb. In the message conflict between God and Satan, I am in the after hour now, I think. He says, in Eden, God knew his enemy and all the attacks of his enemy. He's going right back to the beginning. And knew that he would have children on this earth, his own blessed children. Don't you believe that he would provide for them the best that he could provide? So God is a parent. Here he is. He's a father. And he's giving parents an example of what you can do to protect your children. Would you not tonight to your children that was helpless little fellows who couldn't take care of themselves? Don't you struggle and work and do everything you can to provide the best you can or are able to provide for these children? Because you're a father, a parent. And parenthood originated in God because he was the first parent. Don't you think that God, seeing what Satan would be, what Satan would do, he gave to his children and provided for them the best thing that could be provided for them? Knowing what the enemy's attack would be, God fortified his children. Now think of what this message represents to us. God knowing what Satan's attack would be. Look where it is today and the things that are challenges today, the things that are problems today, the things that are being talked about and cause the confusion and cause the chaos today. You can go to the message and see the answer to it. It's in there because God fortified his children. He said, God knew this great warfare that was coming between right and wrong. And he knew what the enemy was doing. He knew just exactly how to equip his people. Again, he says, now seeing there was going to be a conflict, there was going to be a battle. God equipped his children with the right kind of ammunition, the right kind of attack, the right kind of everything. Now, are you listening to me? He's saying God in the beginning gave Adam and the woman everything that they would need. And he says that they had need of that would sweep them all the way from Eden to the rapture. It was already sown then in the word. God was already envisioning the rapture. God was foreshadowing the rapture. God was showing in the beginning what it would take to have a rapture. And he gave them a word to be fortified by. And as long as they stayed behind that word, death was defeated. He knew how to equip his people. God fortified his children. A parent, the first parent, knew. So God, as a parent, equipped his family. Therefore, it tells us that as parents, our responsibility and our duty, and we express God, which is our duty, when we equip our family and our children with the word. 
I don't mind if you raise your hand. How many people have heard of someone say, a parent say, I had this message crammed down my throat, so I don't want to cram it down my child. Anybody hear that? Something to that effect? Well, I I just travel too much. Well, I see some hands raised. And this is the attitude of a lot of parents. Well, it was crammed down my throat, so I'm just going to let my child decide. I'm going to let my child make decisions. I'm going to let them do these things. And then when finally they get old enough, I'll tell them they're not supposed to do it. And what are you doing? You're shirking your responsibility to fortify them, to equip them, and to protect them with the word. Maybe it wasn't applied right to you, but your response is not to not apply it. It's to do it right. We should be improvements on the prior generation, not devalue it or degrade it. He gave them the right kind of everything that they would need of to sweep them all the way from Eden to the rapture. What was it? The word. The word. That's what defeats Satan is the word. It'll defeat him anywhere, any place. Listen, there's a lot of, a lot of things our young people struggle with. We know that you struggle with a lot of things, whether it be social media or lust or social media, uh, social justice and all sorts of things that are in the world today. And there's a lot of things that we could try to sit down with you and talk you pro and con, right and wrong and this and that. And listen, there's a lot of things anymore that are just plain complicated. And what you need more than anything is a word birth. That's what you need. You need a word birth. You need a genuine baptism of the Holy Ghost where soul and God locks together and you become one. You need a new birth. You need a baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that kind of experience ought to be lifted up in the home. Because if the parents have the same vices as the youth, they'll never think the Holy Ghost is a solution. And maybe some parents need the same experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost so we can get off the treadmill and get off the cycle and start ascending up into holiness. I I know a lot of times preachers say, well, I'll probably never be invited back again, but I, I might have to come back next month. I don't know. But I'll say this. I know in my heart, every single thing I'm saying right now has been said already. These men of God stand behind these types of things. They preach these types of things. I know they preach these things. When I'm saying some of these things, I'm envisioning some of them say it. Because I've heard them say it. And I'm adding my voice to theirs to let you know there's nothing out there you need to fix it. God's given you the word. Listen, there's not another savior coming and give you some kind of magic key down the road that's going to make it all click. Some explanation and some other interpretation, some other way of looking at it that's going to solve all the problems and resolve all the foolishness and keep people from struggling. You have been given what you need. You have been given the word of God. It's been kept pure. It's been lifted up. And what you need to do is roll up your sleeves and get dirty with it. You start being a farmer with it. I've been given a word. Let me do something with it. And listen, if you need the Holy Ghost, start crying out for it now. If that's what you need, get it. Because we're waiting for you to get it. Because we all need it to leave. The Bible says in Psalms 91, 9 to 10. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. You've made him your dwelling. You've made him the preeminent one. There shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. I would love to spend more time on that scripture. But can you just focus your attention now. Just for these last several moments here. And that he. When you make him. 
When you give him the first place, when he becomes thy habitation, when he becomes your all in all, no evil will befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. These are difficult times. There's chaos and confusion. It's, a, it's pressing in in every direction. But God has equipped you to protect your families. He's given you what you need to keep the flood of evil out of your homes. It doesn't matter if the internet's got a pipeline right in there. The token in the home can stay the flood. A Holy Ghost filled mother, a Holy Ghost filled father can guide, can protect, can keep the atmosphere right. And can do what it takes in this hour to keep your children. I, I want to impress this on you with all my heart. Your home life can overcome the life of the world. Think of how many parents could testify. They sent their kids through public school and they made it. A praying mother, a praying father that kept the family together, kept the right things lifted up before them. And they had the right kind of example. Don't despair. Don't fret. You've been given the tools that you need. You've been given the examples that you need. You're, our children aren't being abandoned. They're not going to be forsaken. But let's step up and do our part for them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is thy habitation than he that is in the world. And you have power over the chaos. You have power over the confusion. When the world presses in and it pervades and it's everywhere. And listen, let's just admit it. Private school is not even a solution. Just because they go to school across this parking lot doesn't mean that the school is able to keep everything out. The only way you'll ever be able to keep it out is if the families keep it out at home. Do your part for my son. Please do your part for my church. Do your part. Let's all do it together. And Christ will have the preeminence. Don't just rest on Brother Biscoe doing it alone. Don't rest on Brother Tom and Brother John and Brother Murphy and Brother Tim. Don't rest on the other ministers, Brother Michael and Brother Mike. All the ones that labor in this. Don't just rest on their labor. Let's all do our part together. Otherwise, they're not going to be effective. We can preach and preach and do camps and camps and preach dozens of sermons. But until the parent picks up the sword herself. Unless the dad picks up the sword himself. We're fighting the battles ourselves. Brother Bram says in the message, ever present water. He's talking about it being in a dry place and a cactus. How it gets all thorny, prickly, uncomfortable. You know, our families should never feel that way. Brother Bram talks about making the home happy. Where the children are happy to be there. They're secure. There's love there. Place they'd be happy to bring their their friends to. And he's talking about this dry place and these thorny places. He says, but that's where them who live in that place have to suffer with the conditions of that place. And those who desire to live in that kind of atmosphere of where everything's just punching and fussing and quarreling and stewing like that. Well, you'll just live under that atmosphere. That's all. Could that describe a relationship tonight? In some families with their teenagers. Punching, fussing, quarreling, stewing. He says, you'll just live under that atmosphere. That's all. I trust you're all listening right now. He says, but we don't have to live there. It's not necessary for us to stay there. Why? Because there's power. There's power to change it. You're the farmer. It's your field. You've been given the seed. You've been given the tools. You've been given what you need. This is my crop. This is my harvest. 
I know what seed God planted. I know what it's supposed to look like. I know what doesn't belong here. And then with love, you begin to busy yourself with your crop. With love, you begin to busy yourself with your seed. Why? Because I can change. I don't have to live with the thorns anymore. I don't have to live with the dryness. I can bring order. I can bring this back. I know what God sowed. I know what this message can do. I know the power of God is real. And there's power in the family. There's power in the office of a parent. Why? Because true parenthood is divine. You can stand there and say, I stand here as God in this home. Why? We even have a testimony how a mother could come forward and say, I'm standing, I'm claiming. God gave me that son. God's going to keep that son. Why? You've had witness after witness after witness that the word does not fail. Why should we let up now? Why should we stop now? It's too late to stop. If anything, everything that's transpired before is for this moment right now. God, you come on the scene. God, you manifest yourself. Why? Because parenthood is divine. Brother Bram says, and is your life worthy of the gospel? He says, and the things that you think on, and the things that you do, the actions and the things you talk about, creates an atmosphere. You have power. I'd like the musicians to please come. Maybe we could sing the song when they come. Ben comes. I bless your name. It's a midnight hour if you should find you're in a prison. You've been given power to break chains. Brother Brandon making a statement. He's telling a story when love is projected, when divine love is projected. And I've combined some of the different instances where he tells the story just to portray the full picture of what he says. But he says, and try this at your home. Listen, I mean this with all my heart. The masterpiece family is living again. And all true families here portray it. So you have a promise that the power of Christ can be portrayed in your family. And if there's anything wrong out of cater, if there's a wrong kind of atmosphere, brother says, try this at your home. And if there ever was a home that's confused and torn up as much as ours, so confusion, things being torn up, things out of place. He tells a story, he says, the house had been full one day and I went out and my little children, little Sarah and Rebecca were fighting over some play blocks. Little Joseph, the baby, sitting on the floor screaming to the top of his voice. Wife in the kitchen with her face buried into her hands, weeping. When I finally got to the house, emptied some in this room, some in that room, some in the basement, I walked in and I thought, oh, what a confusion. She put her arms around me and said, Billy, I'm going crazy. I haven't been able to get the children any dinner. Brother Baron says, I thought, now there's just one thing to do. You've got to change this situation. Now, what did a prophet do? Remember the simple, humble, ordinary day. Brother Branham didn't start screaming and shouting. He didn't call a prayer line and start with the youngest to the oldest and cast demons out. He didn't rebuke. He didn't shout. He didn't cause a big scene. But he said, now there's just one thing we got to do. Got to change the situation. 
So I slipped over and got an apron and to put around me and I began to help her. What was I doing? Was projecting, creating a different atmosphere. Walk in the love of God, have fellowship. And in a few moments, she got quiet. And then when she got quiet, Sarah and Becky divided up the play blocks. Joseph got him something to play with. And there was peace in the home. What was it? Projecting love. He says, they were mine, my children, my wife. He says, in one place, they, they, they rendered it, and I was God. And if you look at what he's saying in the, in the context of the whole thing, I don't even think that rendering would be necessarily be inaccurate. They were mine, my children, my wife. In another translation, or whether it's uh, written as I was God's. And regardless how you look at it, you're a divine representative. You're a divine expression. They are mine. They're my children. That's my wife. And I'm his. And I am him. And I am his representative. And I am a life lived by the word. And I am the word expressed. And then God given his spirit. And through that spirit, with love to my family, sovereign grace came in and quieted the family. He said, it'll do it. I know it will. Listen, if things aren't right, they don't have to stay that way. And camps aren't just for our young people. They're for all of us. And if you need something from God tonight, get what you need. Why? Because we're farming to a change. And we've got to be busy in our field. And we've got to be doing the things that we need to be doing. It doesn't matter to me just exactly what might be the situation in your home. The situation that you're facing with your children. I know God is more than enough. I know this word is able. Let's stand to our feet. The Masterpiece family. All true family here portrays that. Would you have a desire in your heart to let Christ have preeminence in your families? Could you, there's many, there's many camps where we're making these young people make a commitment. And, and they're the ones that respond to the call. But could the parents and the counselors and the ones in the balcony and the ones standing behind say, Lord, I want my revival to begin in my home life. And maybe we're even willing to acknowledge that these men have labored tirelessly for decades to achieve the results we see here. And the success in your family will be you sharing the same vision and being willing to labor as a family for the kingdom of God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, with hands raised and commitments made, we commit them to you. Knowing that in the uniqueness of the things that were shared, you can make yourself known. Father, I pray and ask that all these things that have been said and all the things that have been expressed may have been brought to their remembrance. That these are not merely uh, ideas that Brother Aaron's come up with or a way that he has of putting it together to express a different thought. But Lord, these are principles that were envisioned even when the family camp was started. Principles that have been lifted up and espoused through each of the winter camps. Things that have always been tried to be portrayed through the ministry behind this pulpit. And Lord, we must do our part. Father, I would be, I would be wrong to suggest that people aren't doing it. Perhaps it's just a, it's a put in such a way to catch the few that are slacking behind. I can say, Lord, for me, I see many in my generation that just aren't towing the line like they should. 
And it can be very lonely for young families who have a fervent desire to serve God when they can't trust the standard and the example of others. And Father, I pray you bring about a change in the atmosphere of many families, different homes, different desires and different ambitions for the sanctity of our school, for the sanctity of our church, so the sanctification of our family gatherings, Lord, so that our young people, when they get together, there's a voice. When our young people gather outside of those venues, Lord, there's a standard that's lifted up. May we create safe havens in every single one of our homes from Laodicea. I commit them to you now, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Some midnight hour.